Welcome to today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. Welcome to today's workplace. In previous episodes, we've had some very informative discussions about the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic and its far-reaching impact on the communities, businesses, and overall economy of the United States, and indeed across the globe. As a consequence, state and local level governments have imposed a wide range of shutdown and quarantine orders designed to keep its citizens safe. This has had a profound impact on businesses and many forced to suspend operations and or totally close during state mandated quarantines. Slowly, but surely, these orders are being lifted, the economy is reopening, and employers are preparing for a return to managing the workforce in the new normal of post-pandemic life. Today, we are extremely fortunate to have Chrissy Rossell, to give us an inside look at the adjustments and challenges organizations have had to make in return to work post-pandemic. Chrissy, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? My pleasure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I love the idea of this podcast and it's an honor for me to be a part of it. So to tell you a little bit about myself, I graduated from USC Law School in 2006. And since that time, I've been primarily practicing as a management side employment attorney at large law firms, supporting a variety of clients in various industries, various size companies across the country. I've also had the pleasure of serving in an HR role at Broadcom Corporation and also as in-house employment counsel at 21st Century Fox prior to the merger with Disney. And currently, I'm the vice president of employee relations and policy at Sony Pictures in Culver City, which is adjacent to Los Angeles. Well, we're really happy to have you here today, Chrissy. Thank you so much. And we know based on that background that you have a lot of insight as to what organizations are struggling with now as they not only deal with remote workers, but any essential workers that have to be on site, return to work issues. And so let's uh, jump into some of the issues that we want to discuss. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is that from your position as an HR leader um, for employee relations, how have you seen the pandemic disrupt uh, business as we know it? One of the biggest things that I've noticed is, as we often say, those with whom I work, we are building the plane while we are flying it. We all fortunately recognize that none of us have ever been through anything remotely like this before. It's very difficult to compare this to any experience any of us has previously had. And so we're really just doing the best that we can. A variety of issues have arisen. Uh, particularly in the entertainment industry, specifically at Sony, we have so many different types of employees. We have about 8,000 employees within the United States. We have about 50 TV shows right now and several films that are in production across the globe. 
And so you can imagine where you have everything from traditional office workers to those who are working on production, there are a whole host of issues that have arisen. And there are some people who need to continue working. I work on the Culver City lot, and there are those who have never stopped working. So a lot of those in facilities and security and other support roles like that. And now that there are some productions that are back shooting, there are a variety of employees who are back working and must be physically there to do their jobs. So we're dealing with a whole host of issues and doing the best we can. There have been a number of legislative acts and government agencies that have issued guidelines for post-coronavirus workplace um, in terms of the regulations that you have to keep up with. So how have you been able to keep up with it all and how are you helping your organization respond to all of these different regulations? Well, I must say that the HR department as well as the legal department are more valued than ever by the entire company. They are the rest of the company is looking to us consistently. What do we do? How do we do it? Um, and just making sure that everything is done according to the various brand new legislation and guidance where we feel like something new is coming out either federally or locally. Um, If not every couple of weeks, um, even every week or every day in some instances, constantly be aware of what's what's going on. Um, We are working consistently with our employment lawyers and our labor lawyers. They're the ones who are making sure that we are up to date on the latest guidance and the latest requirements. There are even little things that change like within Los Angeles County before it was if you have five confirmed cases of COVID within a particular period of time, you must report it to the Los Angeles Department of Public Health. Then that got reduced to three cases. So even something that minor we need to be aware of because we do have people that must be in the workplace that are in the workplace and we have had, uh, as many places have, a few confirmed cases. And so we need to understand what to do. So can you describe then, in, in light of all these new laws and, and having to do things differently, can you describe some of the more significant uh, HR policy changes that you had to uh, put into place? And then also talk a little bit about the approach uh, to putting it into place. Is, is somebody sitting in the legal department just writing all these policies and then handing them over to the human resources organization, or does it occur in a, in a much more collaborative way? Um, there's a lot of collaboration across legal, our HR department, as well as um, we have a department called Safety, Security, and Sustainability, S3. And so they're a critical part of developments as well. So because things are changing so rapidly, because there are certain uh, regulations that will and entitlements that will expire as of this December, we're not writing policies on a consistent basis. We're doing what's required in terms of keeping employees notified, but we're really thinking through based on our work environment, what's the best way to do that to make sure employees are getting any information that they need. And most of the time, it's not writing a policy. Um, Usually it is communicating with our employees on our intranet with notifications. It's sending emails to them. It's um, putting postings up physically in the workplace for those who are there. So those are the ways we typically communicate. And then anyone who is returning to the workplace is required to go through a training. So they are notified about 
what's new in the workplace, especially those who have not been there. Um, and this is true for most people. They haven't been there since mid-March. So when it's time for them to return, they need to understand what their work environment looks like now. So for a lot of people, their desk may be in a different place. Uh, if they don't have an office, if they're in more of an open workspace, they may now have some sort of barrier, like a plexiglass barrier, for example, that's in their area that they didn't have before. So it looks different. They need to take a different path, perhaps, to their desk. There might, they might be restricted to use a certain elevator, a certain set of stairs, a certain bathroom. So all of those little things that we take for granted, typically, in the workplace throughout the workday, going to use the refrigerator, going to the cafeteria if we're in a place that has that, those things are all completely different. So we're making people aware of those things um, in various ways that they can receive it, whether that's through a, a training. So they're seeing a PowerPoint, they're hearing things verbally, um, and they're also seeing an email about it. And so that's, that's where we found is the best way to communicate with our employees rather than writing a policy. Certainly any notices that the government is requiring that we post or that we share, we do that, and the government's providing those. But um, we really haven't been writing new policies just for this occasion. So no changes to like your leave policies or attendance or flexible scheduling, no, no changes that you've had to make to those. Nothing in writing. It's been um, uh, for most people, in terms I'll speak specifically to the, the flexible work. Anyone who does not have to physically be at work to do their job is not required to be in the workplace right now. And actually for most, of our locations, our largest employee population is in Culver City. And so for those employees, myself, we're actually restricted from going to our usual office. For those who work in Miami, um, some of those who work in New York, for example, they have been allowed to go back if they need to spend a few hours, they need to pick up something, they don't have to go through a special process for that. But for those of us in Culver City, there's very restricted access. So um, pretty much everybody is working from home unless you absolutely cannot do your job working from home. You have to be in the workplace. And with, with regard to leaves, um, those employees who need to be on a leave for some COVID-related instance, for example, if they have actually contracted COVID, they tested positive, or they are considered what's called a close contact. So someone who has been in close contact, according to the, the CDC definition, with someone who's, who's been a confirmed case, um, there's a certain time off that is provided for them. And we uh, inform people of that in our FAQs that are posted on our, our intranet. We have a COVID uh, site on our intranet as a whole host of information. Um, and then as, if people are, are not aware of that, otherwise we let them know on a case-by-case -case basis. Those instances have come up a lot more rarely because most people are there. Chrissy, how, how would you describe your company's philosophy with respect to how it's dealing with employees at this time? So we've been discussing philosophy quite a bit. As you're aware, there are companies who have who came out months ago with what their stance is about people returning to work and having flexibility returning to work. There are some companies like a Twitter that has said, you never have to return to the workplace. Um, I know um, a friend of mine who's in-house counsel for, um, for a hospital 
uh, organization and uh, up in the Bay Area. And because real estate's expensive, her company decided to drop their lease. And um, all of them who were working in that building, they have to work from home. They don't even have a workplace to go to anymore. There are some companies who have said everyone can work from home or will work from home through next July. So there's there been a variety of stances that companies have taken. So we have not let go of any of our leases. We still have all of our workplaces. Um, and we're working through what our philosophy will be for those of us who, who are able to pretty effectively work from home and have been for these past few months. What's going to be our messaging for when we feel like it's safe enough for people to return. First of all, there's been no date given um, for Sony Pictures within the United States. There are some Sony Pictures employees who have returned in other places around the world. But speaking to the U.S. only, our CEO has simply shared with us that it's very unlikely that we'll return to the workplace in 2020. And again, that's for those of us who can pretty effectively do our work from home. Um, those people who are not already back because they have to be back in order to do their job. So it'll be interesting to see truly. We've talked about perhaps having a period of time where uh, we don't follow our typical protocol of requiring doctor's notes for medical related accommodations and just uh, accepting people's people's word without a doctor's note. Um, we've also talked about just going through our usual medical accommodations process of requiring some sort of documentation, whether that would be a doctor's note um, or some other documentation to back up the reason why the person's saying they cannot or would be very difficult to return to the workplace. So I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like yet, but as many companies are going through, there, there are a variety of options and we're deciding what that will be in real time. You know, like you said, we're living in totally unprecedented times, at least in our lifetimes. Um, can you describe um, any unique issues that have arisen in um, light of all the new workplace safety guidelines and requirements that have been issued? I'd say for our work environment productions, figuring out what to what productions has been the biggest thing. Of course, productions, that's our money. That is how uh, Sony Pictures as well as the other studios make money. So if our productions are not up and running, if we don't have TV shows to put out, if we don't have films to put out, then, um, then we don't make our money. So that's been the biggest challenge is figuring out how do we effectively work with the unions? How do we effectively look at our own workplace and the conditions that we can provide and the supervision that we can provide so that everyone feels safe and is safe um, and that we can continue to do our best to keep our business running? Obviously, we don't have control over the fact that movie theaters are mostly not open, especially in the biggest markets like Los Angeles and New York, with respect to our films. So there's been more of a focus on TV because we have a bit more control over that because as long as there are TV shows that are ready to air, they can be aired, right? Everyone can watch from home <laughs> without having to go to a movie theater. So there's been a real focus there. So that's what's been most unique because as you can imagine from any TV show or film that you watch, people often have to be very close to one another. If you have a family, you're not going to have a mother and a child six feet apart usually. If you're, if there's some, uh, would be a romantic relationship, there's affection that's shown, there's kissing, there's hugging, people have to be close 
close to each other. Um, there are scenes where people are fighting and have to be close to each other. So just figuring out how to keep people safe, um, what frequency of testing needed to happen, and that's now been determined, fortunately. Um, the other people who don't have to be close to others, those who are on the crew, figuring out, well, how often should they be tested then? And then let's think about hairdressers um, and makeup artists. They, they have to be close to people. So how do we keep them protected and keep those with whom they work protected? So, so many little considerations with what could be hundreds of people that are part of a production. It can get very complicated. And not everyone can be in a bubble like we have with the MBA. It would be so wonderful if every production could be a bubble and it wouldn't affect people's personal lives and it was financially viable, Um, but it's not, unfortunately. So there are a handful of productions that have decided to do that. Uh, Not any of ours, but I've heard like Tyler Perry that he's been able to do that for some of the productions in his studio and heard of some others that are going to remote locations to film TV shows or movies and everyone is quarantined and they create their own bubble, but that's not practical or realistic for most productions. People have to live their lives. And see their families <laughs> who aren't exactly. allowed in bubbles. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. And you think about guest stars on TV shows, for example, someone who just needs to be there for a day or two or guest director even if you created a bubble, there are going to be some people that, that still have to come in and some have to travel. And so we've, we've been taught those little details. Well, does it make sense for them to get tested before they get on the plane uh, and or after they get off the plane? And then how long do they have to quarantine? How long will the test results take before they can show up on set? So, yes, it's been a lot <laughs> and, and brand new for everyone. <laughs> So as a, as a follow-up, um, do you see, are you seeing any uh, conflicts uh, coming from either your people who are working remotely or people who are working right there uh, on site? Uh, are, there, are there any employee relations sort of conflicts that you haven't seen before? Um, you know, for those who are working on site, I think there's so much gratitude, frankly, that they're able to be at work. It's actually been a very positive work environment from everything that I've heard. I have not received any complaints um, to investigate, for example, out of people who are currently on site. People are taking it seriously that they're able there. Some were not able to be there for a period of time, and now they are. So they're very appreciative, not what that period of time felt like when they, they were not able to work. Um, there are a lot less people around, so I think it helps people typically feel safer. And people are just are going in, they're doing their jobs, they're taking them seriously, they're grateful that they have work to do, and, um, and really following directions. For those people who are at home, what I found actually is that um, I'm receiving many, many less complaints about current day-to-day interactions. Most of the complaints that I've received have actually come out of the social justice movement, where uh, now people are feeling empowered and encouraged to share concerns that they may have been holding in their hearts for a pretty long period of time. Um, Behavior that they've noticed over a period of time that they're finally feeling comfortable to speak up about, um, relationship issues, dynamics that they're concerned about, maybe even something that was said to them or that they overheard 
even up to a couple of years ago, that they finally feel comfortable sharing because it's, it's been weighing on them and they feel like, you know what, this is my time to share. I, I, I finally have a space. And although we, we consistently try to provide uh, a space and an opening for people to feel comfortable sharing, this is a very unique time in our country and in our world. And so um, I'm really glad that people really feel comfortable coming forward. I know that our leadership within the company has just done incredible work to create an environment where people will feel more comfortable coming forward and feel like the company will take it seriously and that we want to know if there are issues, if there are concerns, if there are areas for us to improve in that we're, we simply may not be aware of. We need to know for us as, as a company in terms of leadership to be able to take action. And I'm really glad that people feel comfortable doing that. So I, I'm encouraging it. I share with people and thank you. Thank you for coming forward. I know this took a lot. I know it takes a lot of courage to do this. And especially when people may not feel as connected to work or they might feel a little more isolated being at home and not being around colleagues, that it can take a lot to come forward with with those heavy sorts of concerns. So that's what I'm seeing much more. You know, Chrissy, I've heard a lot of people say that we've had at least two pandemics and the um, emphasis on um, social equity, diversity, inclusion, and equity is, is part of that. So what steps is your organization taking to, to address the concerns that are being raised? So I feel incredibly blessed to be at a company that I feel like is taking this really seriously. Um, you know, I, I don't work anywhere else currently, but as I've just observed on social media in particular, various companies who have put out statements, who had the, the black square on their LinkedIn profile uh, a few months ago after George Floyd's death, and there was, there was that day where um, was it Black Tuesday, maybe yeah. it was called. And there were companies that gave people that day off, for example. So those really short-term initiatives that companies have taken, maybe they, they donated some large amount of money to some social justice organization. What I really appreciate about Sony Pictures is that we are doing a whole variety of things right now that will... Um, provide hopefully for sustained change. So to have a long-term impact. Um, so we did some of those shorter term things. We created a hundred million dollar fund and asked employees, the organizations that they'd like to see that money go to. And there was a committee that vetted those and, and created a list of organizations where that money would be divided up and, and go to. Um, there, there's also a donation matching program for employees for those organizations as well. So that's one of those short-term initiatives, but still impactful and something to be proud of. We also created the Sony Pictures Action Council, which is um, a, a council or committee of a variety of leaders within Sony Pictures at the top, top level. And some employees asked, well, you know, why only those who were some of the top level executives in the company? Well, because those are the ones who can make real change. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as others' voices are valued and there's, there's other space to get um, those folks input, those who can really make an impact and create change, can make policy, um, 
can, can really change the work environment and drive initiatives longer term are those at the top, top levels. So those are the ones who are on the Sony Pictures Action Council, and that's across the company, corporate TV film groups. And then there are committees that each of those council members are responsible for leading uh, within certain pillars that the council determined were important from an initiative perspective. And so the committees are where there are more of a variety of voices from different levels across the company. Um, and people and, and content, for example, are, are two of those pillars where we want, really want to see differences made. So that's where some of the longer term change will happen. Uh, we also created a social justice speaker series called Real Talk Social Justice in Our Streets and Structures. And so since the month of July, every month, we have had a speaker session um, on a variety of issues, which has been really fantastic. I've been very involved in that. I, I moderated one of the speaker sessions that was on health-related issues for the Black and Latinx communities. We, the first one we did, oh, that was back in June, actually started in June with the Juneteenth celebration with a couple of my friends, one who's a professor of African-American studies at Georgetown and also a, a criminal justice attorney who works on a lot of police brutality and police misconduct cases. We had one on um, representation and television content, and we'll, we'll continue that. That can go on indefinitely and uh, have so much potential in terms of sharing information um, and, uh, and raising interesting issues for our employees. And we invite employees from all the Sony companies to those. So I'm really proud of the variety of ways in which we're looking to make sustained impact. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot to be proud of, but I'm wondering, are you seeing pushback from employees in terms of being resistant to the kinds of um, initiatives and recognition of institutional racism that it sounds as if your company is making? It's actually from everything that I've observed and I've heard and, and looking at the participation, since we easily see the participation in, on, on Zoom or on Microsoft Teams, whatever we're using, the number of people participate, that people have been really excited about it. Um, and I think, you know, when you think about our industry, the entertainment industry, and you look at the cities where we are, we are in places that are pretty liberal. Um, and so I think that that is helpful in terms of people generally, our employee population generally being very open to change and to progress and to uh, the concept of anti-racism. I think in some other industries, in some other parts of this country, uh, you might find more employees that are openly resistant to these type of efforts. Um, but I think that for our employee population, I, I think that in terms of any, certainly anyone who's open about the way they feel about it, it's been very positive and it's been so welcome because it's literally coming from the very top, from our CEO, the other C-suite executives, um, our head of diversity and inclusion is incredibly well respected and empowered and um, has been called upon by uh, pretty much every top leader across the company. What can I do on my team? What should I be saying? What should we be doing? Um, how can I have an open discussion where people feel comfortable? So it's really great to see that because um, in my experience, a lot of DNI leaders are just there just so the company can say we have one but are not truly empowered, are not in a high-level position and are not em empowered um, 
uh, to, to really do the best work. And, and some, as well-intentioned as they may be, may not be true DNI professionals in terms of having education or background or, or experience. They might have a great passion, but um, might not have the, the skill set and the background that you ideally love them to have, and ours does, and has hired a great team to work with them as well. So many companies have just kind of done check the box diversity and inclusion historically. Right. So yes. Really good to hear that your company is taking a serious look at the issues. When we, we started talking about these, these two pandemics, so we've got, you know, the medical scientific uh, pandemic um, of COVID-19, and then we've got the social justice issues going on. And I think it would be really um, helpful for uh, employment law practitioners as well as HR leaders to really understand in helping to steer the organization in times like these where big decisions have to be made that then trickle down into tactical actions that the organization takes um, that can impact uh, the, the health and safety of the organization, can impact the reputation. Who tends to be the main stakeholders in shaping and formulating the company's response? Um, you know, who, 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 who is it? Um, if I was outside counsel, who would, who would I contact if I had some good guidance and what, who, who should I be looking to work with? So I would say, um, from what I've observed at, at Sony Pictures, it's the trifecta of our CEO, our CHRO, and our, um, our chief diversity and inclusion officer. Those three have really been aligned and collaborating the most uh, on this the plethora of issues that, that we've been facing. Um, those three are making decisions. The, they are the ones who are, who are consulted on what are we doing or are you okay with what we're doing? Um, and then those it's the three of them that are typically openly communicating with our employee population. Certainly in terms of outside counsel, our head employment lawyer who's been at Sony for over 20 years, she's fantastic. Um, she's using outside counsel a lot. Our head labor attorney, she's been using outside counsel a lot because obviously there are a lot of employment and labor related issues right now. And the company's looking to the two of them and their teams in particular to make sure that we're in compliance. Um, but in terms of uh, from a, a, a setting our cultural standards, I think it's really been our CEO, our CHRO, and our Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Mm-hmm. So, but on your uh, so that's on the social justice side. What about on the COVID nineteen response? You know, decision making and coordination for that. Mm, I think that's uh, our our head employment lawyer for our general employee population has really been at the head of that in terms of making sure that we're in compliance with our regulations. Um, so she and, and her team, she has two other employment lawyers that work with her and all of them have been with the company for quite some time. With regard to our productions, our um, head labor attorney, as well as a couple of members of her team have been in consistent negotiations with the unions um, and the 
guilds for the past few months. They, they've just been going at it for months. No one thought it would take this long, but it did. And finally came to resolution this week. Um, so I, I would say those two teams are really critical advisors to the entire company on the COVID-19 issues. Now, I will say in terms of task forces I've been a part of, there are many other divisions that are part of that as well. So our safe security and sustainability teams, critical, critical to that risk management. Um, they're not using outside counsel. They're getting the legal advice from our legal department. But in terms of their um, their background and their knowledge of of safety and security, as well as specifically of Sony Pictures, has absolutely been critical. You, know, you mentioned um, some of the complaints that you're getting from um, people of color in light of what's been going on in the country. What are some of the other um, co- complaints that are coming from employees nowadays? Um, that's certainly what I've seen the most. Um, I haven't really noticed any other themes uh, actually in, in these past few months. It's, it's really all been race-related. I know some of my colleagues that I've spoken to in employee relations because I've really done my best to keep in contact with other ER professionals, particularly entertainment companies. Some of them have seen um, a rise in gender-related claims again, kind of like a reboot of the Me Too movement. I have not seen that. Um, I've, and so it's really just been race related. That's really been it. I have not, I can't think of any COVID related complaints that I've received. I'm sure that they'll come, but I think it's because most people are not back in the workplace. But when those of us get, those of us office workers get back to work and more people are together. And then especially as productions, many more productions get back up and running. I'm sure I'll get some COVID-related complaints for sure because there's that natural anxiety and fear and um, and conclusions that people draw that may or may not be uh, accurate um, that can come from times like this. So they're coming. I'm just waiting for those unique uh, complaints. I've joked around with some of my colleagues about what some of those might be. So I'll actually be interested to see because these will be stories that will will tell years from, oh, back then, do you remember people were saying this and that and worried about this and that? And hopefully we'll, we'll feel a little more normal some years from now and this will, this will be behind us. What about from people managers and leaders? They're, they're now having to manage workforce in, in a different circumstances. Um, and so any trends that you're seeing in the types or frequency of complaints from them? Um, not complaints, but just advice that they're seeking with respect to COVID-related issues as well as um, social justice-related issues. The biggest theme that I've seen is that they're walking on eggshells. They are afraid of offending. They're afraid of getting uh, too into people's personal business. Um, they are, they're afraid of making employees feel uncomfortable, of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. So with respect to COVID, for example, if there's an employee who is not performing very well, they some of them are worried that it could be they're not in the workplace because they might have something personal going on at home in terms of their own health or someone within their household because they have childcare challenges. 
um, because they might know just enough about an employee or they might know a lot about an employee, but, but some of them who don't know their employees as well on a personal level, they might know just enough to say, oh, well, I know that they have a toddler and they have an eight-year-old who's in school. Um, and I've noticed their performance has really dropped off. And it could be because of that. Can I say something? Can I ask? What do I say? Uh, I want to support them. But then I also need this work done. And we can. it's really hard for us to get temps right now, but I need some extra support. And so they're asking their HR business partners in particular for advice. Um, and then those HR business partners will come to me often if they're not quite sure or they just need a gut check in terms of what types of advice to get to managers. So we're definitely seeing those themes, certainly not surprisingly uh, related to the social justice issues. Um, as I alluded to earlier, a lot of our leaders were asking for our diverse inclusion teams help with what do I say? What do I do? Is it okay to have an open forum for people to share? Um, I don't want to put people of color on the spot right now or ask them to represent their whole race by sharing what they're thinking and what they're feeling. So those are the sorts of issues that are coming up. But I, and I'm just grateful that they're asking be, rather than yeah. just sitting at home wondering or just deciding on their own what to do, even when they're not quite sure and just taking a leap or feeling super confident in what they're getting ready to do. And then it turns out to be a disaster. So I'm just, I'm really glad again that they're, they're seeing our HR department as a resource and are coming to us to ask. But those are the biggest issues. They're really not complaints uh, for the most part. It's really just not knowing what to do and what to say um, and not wanting to be probably the, the next either internal or external headline as to what went wrong. Yeah, right. So you said that you talked about the types of complaints that you've um, seen um, since the pandemic um, started. Have you had to make any adjustments to your overall management and approach to addressing employee complaints? No, the, the biggest drawback for me is that I don't get to have that personal interaction that I like to have when I'm conducting an investigation. So in most situations, I'm able to speak with people in person. And when you're dealing with such personal issues, like someone feeling harassed or discriminated against or bullied or just mistreated in any sort of way, um, and you know, they're People's work life, for some people, is basically their whole life. And even for those where they do have um, a robust personal life, our, all, for all of us, our work lives are such a big part of who we are, how we identify, how we feel, how we just move through our day, how we interact with our friends and our family. And so it's these issues are very personal. And so for me to not have the opportunity to speak with people in person, like I usually mostly would have that opportunity, has been the biggest challenge for me. Fortunately, at least we can see each other using Zoom or Microsoft Teams, for example. So at, at least it's not just a phone call like there would have been in the past. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But um, it's still, it's always on my mind to just even go the, the extra mile, take those extra steps to do my best to make people feel as comfortable as possible and to still build the type of trust that's necessary for, for there to be um, the best investigation that I can conduct and make it the most comfortable process for people that I can. So that's been my, my personal biggest challenge in my role. 
Well, in terms of um, formal legal complaints, so we've been talking about what you may have been receiving internally, but in terms of formal uh, legal complaints, have you seen any changes or anything happening since the onset of a COVID-19 life for all of us? I think it's too soon. Um, I'm not, I mean, I don't receive all of the, the legal complaints or I might not be aware of all of them. But um, uh, because I've, I've been here in this role during the period of time when all of this has been happening, um, most things that have happened in my time I'll be aware of because I'll be asked about uh, for information and whatnot. Um, but I'm not aware of any unique legal claims, either pre-litigation demand letters or actual lawsuits that have arisen out of this particular time period. I mean, I, I won't be surprised if, if later, um, especially as more people return to the workplace and they don't feel like their issues are sufficiently resolved internally, if they do report internally, then I could see later you know, next year or the year after uh, seeing some claims that come out of this time, even, even though we're, we're doing the best we can do. I think we're getting um, close to the end of our time together today. But what are the top three pieces of sound advice you like to give any employer out there who's trying to figure out how to manage this new normal in this pandemic era workplace? That's a great question. So um, first I'd say be patient. Be patient with your employees and be patient with yourself as leaders, because as I mentioned earlier, everyone is just trying to figure all of this out. These are crazy times, very unique, and I think most people are doing the best that they can. And so um, that's that's my first, to say be patient. Um, next, I'd say to be compassionate. There's unfortunately so much fear and anxiety and uh, most people have been on an emotional roller coaster these past few months. Um, when Michelle Obama mentioned that she was feeling some level of depression, some people went after her thinking, you know, you, you're living a dream. How could you possibly feel that way? And I remember hearing a reaction of, if you're not feeling at least low-grade depression these days, then you really need to take another look at yourself and check if you're human. because. Right. Um, we're all going through something and to, and to varying degrees right now. So I'd say be compassionate. And finally, make sure to keep abreast of those federal and local laws and guidance. Use your in-house and outside counsel. Um, use SHRM if you're in the HR world as a resource. They have become a member and they're providing so much great information. And use other resources that trust because the laws and the guidance are changing so regularly. Um, it's it's absolutely critical that you stay on top of things. And it could be really hard just to do our own. So use those resources. Yeah, that sounds like some pretty good advice. Um, easy to understand. And um, I hope that a lot of our listeners will really use that as a guidance. It's been so valuable, Chrissy, uh, talking with you today. Uh, we'd like to thank you for providing us with that unique insight that someone in a senior leadership role within the HR organization with an employment law background can offer, uh, particularly in these unprecedented times. And so thank you so much for agreeing to um, speak with us today. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.